I thought that was appropriate. A Sunday school teacher was discussing the Ten Commandments with her five- and six-year-olds. And after explaining the commandment to honor thy father and thy mother, she asked, is there a commandment that teaches us how to treat our brothers and sisters? And without missing a beat, one little girl raised her hand and said, thou shalt not kill. So, like this little girl putting God's word into practice, today we'll be starting our series in 1 Corinthians. As we progress through this book, we're going to find out that the same issues that people had then, some 2,000 years ago, we have those today. We will see how sin still raises its head in the church and how human ridiculousness can run amok. But before we begin to get too deep, we need to start at the beginning. That is, our position as Christians in Christ and whether or not we are in Christ to begin with. This is the most fundamental thing that a Christian needs to know for themselves or they can have no assurance of their salvation. And so today's title is, Are You Sure You Are in Christ? That's the central theme for today. Paul preached the gospel in Corinth in the early 50s uh, A.D. That's not the 1950s, that's the 50s, okay, during his second missionary journey. When opposition grew fierce there, the Lord uh, spoke to him in a vision and assuring him that he had many people in the city. And with this encouragement, Paul stayed on for 18 months, teaching them the word of God. God used Paul's ministry to bring about the birth and the establishment of this church in in Corinth. And after Paul moved on from Corinth, he kept in touch with the church, greatly valuing his connections with it. In 1 Corinthians 5.9, it indicates that Paul wrote an earlier letter to the Corinthian church, which unfortunately no longer exists today. People like Chloe kept in touch with him, and the church sent him a letter requesting guidance about problems that had arisen. Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus probably delivered the letter to him. Paul later sent Timothy to visit them. Just so you know, I had to practice those names a few times. Um... In this book, it's one of the earliest New Testament books to be written. It gives insight into the problems faced by church in a pagan society, much like ours is becoming today. It lays down principles for church order and and discipline that's not found anywhere else in the New Testament. It provides important instruction regarding divorce and remarriage. It gives the New Testament's most detailed discussion of spiritual gifts in chapters 12 through 14. It supplies the most assurance of the Christian hope of our physical resurrection to be with Christ in chapter 15. So without further ado, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, if you're not already there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. When I started this, by the way, I was much more optimistic in my how far we would get today. I went all the way to verse 12. Well, you'll be good to know that as long as you got the first three verses, you're good to go. All right, 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 3. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as I stand behind your pulpit, Lord, I stand in awe and wonder of your word. And with some, some fearfulness as well, Lord. God, I ask that you would begin to touch hearts here and at home, whether it be by audio or live stream. Lord, we ask that you would continue to build your church in our midst. Lord, we pray that you would have your revival in our midst. Lord, we ask as we touch the empty seat next to us, if there be one, Lord, that that you would fill that spot with the person you are calling. And we thank you for it from the north, the south, the east, and the west. God, grow us, both spiritually and numerically. But grow us, Lord, for this is an exciting time to be a part of First Baptist Church of Mineola. And we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name, the strong Son of God. And the church said, Amen. All right. Today's life principle in all of life, all of life, don't forget where you stand in Jesus Christ. Where does the Christian stand in Christ? That's the question that we're going to answer today. But don't forget where you are in Him. Looking again at 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 3, and then we'll break it down. Paul called, called, Paul called, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. And Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We hear from time to time about where a Christian stands, about where we stand in Christ. And today, you're going to know whether or not that you are in Christ, and you're also going to know what it means to be a Christian, to be in Christ. Well, the first thing to note here is when... Paul writes, he writes as one who has been called by God to be an apostle of the Word of God. Now the ministry, folks, is not just something someone decides they want to go into, like being a doctor or or any of the other professions out there. No, it is a calling. It is something that comes straight from the mind of God. Not something that a person just decides one day that they're going to go do or decide flippantly. The church as a whole today has a big problem. And it seems more and more people say they have a calling from God and they really don't. They decide to go into the ministry, whether because of some misguided attempt to please God or because they're interested in the things of God and have decided themselves to believe they are called to the ministry when they aren't. Some are daddy called and mama sent. Did you know that 83% of all Bible college graduates graduating with a degree in either Bible or ministry or pastoral ministry, whatever you want to call it, within the first five years, they will no longer be in the ministry and will never return. Now, it can be for a lot of reasons, but I believe chief amongst them is they were never called to begin with. They shouldn't have been there to begin with. If one is called in the ministry, then it's God's will. 
not your own, not mine own. The apostle is about to write some pretty harsh things to this church, to these Christians in Corinth. And he's got to write it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And let me give you another note about something else that's going on in Christendom today that is a huge problem in our churches. If you want to talk more about it after, come see me. The problem is that some are now fond of saying that the Bible contains truth, but is not the truth. Folks, that's wrong. The original manuscripts and the copies we have down throughout the ages show that the Bible is accurate and authoritative, and it is the truth. To state otherwise, it's heresy, and it's a damnable lie straight from the pit of hell. If you strip the Bible of inerrancy and infallibility, you strip the Bible of its authority in all matters. If this is the case, then who becomes the arbiter of truth? Who becomes, well, this is true and that's not? Who decides which parts to follow and which parts to ignore? You know who decides? You do. I do. If we strip the Bible of its inerrancy and infallibility. So let me ask you some questions. Those who believe the Bible is not 100% infallible and inerrant. Are you omnipotent? Meaning, are you all-powerful? Are you omniscient? Do you know all things? Are you omnipresent? Are you everywhere at one time? If you are none of those things, then pardon how I say this, I wouldn't follow you to the 7-Eleven down the street. You cannot be the arbiter of truth. Simply because you don't know all things. But God does. He gave his holy word to lead and to guide us, but he didn't stop there. He saved us to the uttermost and came to live inside of us. Second Peter 1.19 says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit so if God says to us in his word to not do a thing you don't do it I'm going to say some things that are not popular anymore abortion is a sin homosexuality is a sin you know what else? Gossip is a sin. Lying is a sin. Stop doing it. If God's word says to do something, then you do it. The Christian doesn't rely on works to get them to heaven, by the way. But as a result of salvation by grace through faith, good works become an ever-growing part of your life as you begin to look like Jesus. James 1.27 says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Did you catch that? Now, going, now that we've gone down that rabbit trail, shot it, brought it home and skinned it for supper. Let's go back to our main text where Paul reminds them who he is and his credentials as to why he is able to correct their actions and their thoughts. You see, he was placed in authority over them by God. And I'm going to use an old term. He is vexed. He is upset 
to find out what has become of them. The Berean Study Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they watch over your souls as those who must give an account. To this end, allow them to lead with joy and not with grief, for that would be of no advantage to you. To you. 1 Corinthians 1, 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Now, wait a minute, Pastor. I thought sanctification meant to allow the Holy Spirit to clean up our lives after we're saved, and that it's a gradual process, not something that happens and then it's done. You'd be right if you said that. The cleaning up of our lives is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment thing. You are going to fail. You will fall down. But the Scriptures tell us in Proverbs 24, 16, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. In this instance, the original word in our Scripture here means to be set apart. That's what sanctified means, to be set apart. This is to the church at Corinth who is set apart in Christ Jesus. Well, the question is, set apart for what? And from what? What are we set apart from in Christ Jesus? Well, I got a real, real deep thought for you. You're set apart from sin. Your older sinful nature The way the world does things. You see, at salvation, the Holy Spirit comes into you. He regenerates you, and you become a new creation in Christ. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation. Y'all know that one, Romans 8, 1. To those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So to be in Christ, you're walking according to the Spirit. So this letter is to the church at Corinth and to those who have been set apart from the world, those who are called saints. In this context, what is a saint? In the original language, it's a group of people, saints, who are called to be God's people. Are you called to be a person of God? Have you been set apart? This is to the church at Corinth, to those who have been set apart from sin in the world as a group who belong to God, the local body of believers. Remember what 1 Corinthians 1-2 says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified, set apart in Christ, called to be saints, called to be a group of people for God, with all who in every place call in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. The church at Corinth, to those who have been set apart, they've been set apart from sin and from the world as a group who belongs to God with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. That would be the church universal, both theirs and ours. He says in verse 3, Grace and peace from God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. He confers or gives this blessing on them and to the church everywhere and in all times who are in Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he's used this greeting elsewhere in a letter too. And we will get there one day. And it's written by Paul too. And it's called the book of Romans. Romans 1.7 says, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, for some of us, such a greeting may seem like, uh, so what? Who cares? He's just greeting them. I have the same greeting all the time. Yes, I do too. Someone asks me how I'm doing. My usual response is, I was better and got over it. Now, see, some of y'all got that and laughed. It's meant as a joke. But it does tell me from time to time who's actually paying attention to what I said. Try that one on your cashier next time you go to Walmart. Um, most of the time, they'll say something like, well, that's good. Is it? Okay. Then they move on. <laughs> I also use another one from time to time that I use this morning. I am blessed and highly flavored. You know, that's just a spin on what the angel said to Mary about the Immaculate Conception in Luke one twenty-eight and following. But Paul's opening is not about having a witty comment or, or a blessing um, or something to say or even being boring opening. I'm fine. How are you? He's pointing out our position in Christ in just these few verses. The word grace... It means to have favor towards someone. And in our case, it's God's unmerited favor to those that belong to Him. There is nothing in us that deserves God's favor. Did you know that? Nothing in us. I love, they say, just follow your heart in all these movies, Disney movies and everything else. Hey, you know what Jeremiah says about that? Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? This is the state of all mankind apart from God. Sin can cause our hearts, even as Christians, to be impure. You know, throughout my time as a Christian, I've run across multiple so-called pastors who have justified their sin and many more laymen who do the same thing as well, so you're not off the hook either. And you know what? As humans... Each and every one of us here and out there can justify our sin. Very easily. We're all capable of doing it. Well, you see, I did that because when it all comes down to, maybe you need to let God examine your heart. You know, in California a few years ago, there was a pastor who stood behind God's pulpit in a church. And he declared that God told him to divorce his wife and to marry his mistress. And the people clapped. You know what the problem here is that he completely ignored God's word and he followed his heart. God's word was no longer the objective authority in his life and his sin and wicked desires won out. And what's worse is the people in the sanctuary were clapping for him. Going back to our main text, 
Verse 3, you could start it out. It could be written as where it says grace. It could be God's unmerited favor to you and peace. Now, peace is an interesting word. This is not the peace that the world portrays. The world shows a peace as just an absence of conflict between mankind or between one person to another. For example, if the Russians stopped uh, with the Ukraine thing, we would say they have peace. No, they have the world's peace. The peace that God gives is completely different. It is spiritually given by God to an individual, and there is peace between God and that individual, not peace between God and the unsaved. John 14, 22 and following, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. What a promise. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now before we get to the peace part, notice what our Lord is saying here. If anyone love me, he keeps my word. And then he says, he will come to him and make his home with him. He will live with him. This is the image of true salvation. It's saying, God, I'm done doing things my way. I want to surrender and do life your way. Not my will, but yours be done. When that happens to an individual, your spirit is regenerated and you are made a new creature. Romans 8.1, remember, says, There is therefore no, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Then he says, Those that don't love Him will not begin to keep His words. You see, salvation is not about just saying a prayer. It's not about walking an aisle. It's not about becoming a member of a church. Those things are all good, but that's not salvation. Salvation is a complete change of the individual from the inside out. It is a new nature. We are given new hearts. And out of that change, out of those new hearts, comes good works. Or, to use a different term, spiritual fruit. It starts to happen in your life. Things change. The things you want to do, you no longer want to do. The sin you used to enjoy is no longer enjoyable to you. Not because you're working to get your way to heaven, no, but out of a true love for Jesus Christ and thereby loving of others. That can only come through the experience of salvation and being regenerated by the Holy Spirit. John 14, 25, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives peace. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. We know that upon salvation, that the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And guess what His job is? It's to teach the Christian 
all things about Jesus. That's what he does. He's not a force. He's not impersonal. He is the third in the Godhead of the Trinity. And he has a he. He is a he. And he brings scripture to our minds when it's needed. And he relays things and he speaks to us. And he speaks to our heart. But you know what? He doesn't point to himself. He always points to Jesus in the scriptures. So what is this peace? Well, first of all, we know that this peace is only for the born-again believer, not the unbeliever. Because the peace that Jesus gives, guess what that peace is? It is the Holy Spirit. The peace that God gives is not just a cessation of conflict between you and God, but He gives you a new man and the Holy Spirit. He Himself dwells within you. A new nature and nothing less than communion with Himself. It is a gift beyond compare. Where there was once enmity or you were an enemy of God in your inner being, where there was once rebellion from God on the inside of you, He took that out and gave you Himself to fill the void. He gave you Himself. How awesome is that? How humbling an experience and an understanding that God did these things not because of anything to do with you, but because He chose to do so. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. 1 Corinthians 1.3 says, Grace to you and peace. What a good gift that peace is from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This all comes down to us because God sent His Son, who is our Lord Jesus Christ. He broke the bondage of sin that we find ourselves in and He made us slaves to Himself. Matthew eleven twenty nine says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you need to find rest. Maybe you need to finally surrender to the master of the universe on the inside of you, to Jesus in your heart. Does Jesus know you? A lot of people say they know Jesus, but does he know you? We're given a warning in Matthew 7, 21. For many will say unto me in that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name? Did we not cast out demons in thy name? Did we not do many wonderful works? But I will reply to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Maybe it's time for Jesus to know you. John 6, 43 says, Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. And that belief is not just an intellectual knowledge, but something on the inside of you that is hard to to explain to somebody who doesn't have 
that change of life, that change by the Holy Spirit, that God living inside of you, inside of them. Hard to explain. But are you being drawn to the Son of God today? Maybe that's you, whether here or at home, listening by recording, live stream. Here's what I can tell you. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He said, Be holy, for I am holy. Guess what, folks? We're born in sin. We sin. Even when we don't realize we're sinning. That's why Jesus came. Because you can't be holy. Only He could. And He died for your sin. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Guess what? You're going to die, both spiritually and physically, if you don't know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you're already dead spiritually. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God (laughs) is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We all deserve death. We're born in sin, but we can be reborn in Christ. It is a gift from God, but it cost Him so much. Will you take the gift and count that cost? Give up all that you are to all that He is. I I, I have. And many of you have in this place too. But if you want to, we can go to Romans 10.13 if you've never done that. And here's the promise. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't say might be. It doesn't say could be. It doesn't say, okay, this is a good place to start. Now do works. No, it says whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is a promise. It doesn't call for some magical prayer or some magical words that you speak. It is about your heart and your intention. He offers more than fire insurance today, folks. He offers forgiveness and love. He offers a new nature to walk in, a newness of life. And let me tell you something. It will cost you everything. Whatever you have, it will cost you. But it is worth more than whatever you could possibly imagine. As a Christian, you're promised trouble in this world. That's why he said count the cost. But you know what? That's okay. Because when it's all said and done, he's going to give us a new heavens and a new earth. We're just ambassadors here in this world. This is not the home for the Christian. This world is temporary and is passing away. John 16, says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That's a promise. <laughs> I have overcome the world. The world didn't give me peace, so it can't take it away. The world didn't give me the Holy Spirit. He didn't give me God himself. So it can't take it away. You hearing me? It's all about Jesus. How about you today? Is that you? In all of life, don't forget where you stand in Christ, folks. 
But you don't stand anywhere in Christ if you don't know Him. As the ladies come. Are you sure that you're sure that you're sure? That when you die on this earth, you close your eyes for that last time, and the pain stops in your physical body here, that you won't wake up in hell where the pain is forever in torment. But that you'll wake up in heaven with Jesus. If you're not sure, it's time to get sure. It don't matter what you pray, as long as you say, Jesus, I need you! And mean it from everything within inside of you. You can be saved. And for the rest of us, when tribulation comes, because you're promised it, are you going to fall down and stay there? Or are you going to get up again? Are you going to wallow in sin? Or are you going to get up again and say, Jesus, I failed. Forgive me. Help me to be the man or the woman of God you want me to be. Know whose you are and where you stand in Christ today. If you'd like to pray to receive Christ, I'm right here. I can introduce you to him. I can't save you. He does that. You come on down. If you'd like to join this church by letter, by statement, or by baptism, we can do that too. You come on down. As we stand and sing the invitation, Miss Joe.